WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Locate us on the web at WCBN.org. 15 seconds remain. Hunwick has it. Forward to Tambellini. Tambellini, he'll shoot. If Pandora's box is a box of chocolates, would I know to stay away? Oh, I said, if Pandora's box is a box of chocolates, would I eat them anyway? Every time I have half a mind to leave you, babe That means I have half a mind to stay It's Pandora's Lunchbox on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Good evening, this is Mike. Pandora's Lunchbox is a show about food and culture every Thursday evening at 6.30. And today we're going to look at some events going on around town related to food, because we like to do that. We'll also be looking at some pawpaws and some apples. We'll be staring at them. You can stare at home. It'll be a group effort. Also, probably something you've been worried about all week. You've, may, you've probably been worrying whether or not Cleopatra, Queen Cleopatra, actually was killed by a cobra hidden in a basket of figs. We'll help you with that issue right there. In the meantime, for those of you playing at home, if you've got your food reference bingo cards ready, You'll be looking in this upcoming song for tea, roasted buttercurrant buns, and roast beef. And uh, I've been waiting to play this one until it really looked like autumn. This song, I could have played it the very first day of autumn, but it seems more fitting now that there's actually some lovely color on the trees. And it's supposed to get kind of chilly tonight. So, the kinks, shall we?
It's worth it every year just to play that song to hear him say Autumn Almond Yak towards the end there. Oh, also, it's a good song, too. That's The Kinks and Autumn Almond Yak. Autumn Almanac. Either way you look at it, it's Autumn Almanac. Very good. This is WCBN in Pandora's Lunchbox. Apples, apples everywhere. Orchards are calling your name. It may be the medication. I don't know. But, by the way, among the many events going on this weekend, uh, there's going to be a fall harvest day at the produce station on State Street, Saturday from noon to 4, with some tastings and such. Fall photos in the pumpkin patch, it says here. Other stuff. And... I, I went to Produce Station because every year they have an interesting selection of heirloom apples. And it seems like they're different heirloom apples every year. I mean, there are thousands of kinds of heirloom apples. It's interesting to see what they come up with. I made a point of choosing some of the most unusual names, maybe weird names as a matter of fact, to talk about on the air today. One of them currently available there is the Pepin Chernenko apple. The origin is the Soviet Union, 1953. Says the produce station, it was developed by a Soviet scientist and fruit breeder named Ferdorovich Chernenko. Hope I pronounced that correctly. He was awarded the state prize of the USSR, three Order of Lenin, and various medals for his work with apples and pears. One of his most famous apples is the Pepin Chernenko. It's a very winter-hardy, beautiful, large red apple with an orangish-red blush. Oh, dear. The skin is very shiny, and the flesh is juicy and well-balanced in flavor. I balanced it on my hand, and it was balanced in flavor. Also, the Horneberger Funkuchen, also known as the Horneberger Pancake, this was originated in Germany in 1951, described by the produce station as a very large apple. The ground cover is pale silvery green, becoming pale yellow, flushed and striped with red and pink. Skin is smooth, a good quality late-season German culinary apple. It is considered a hefty pancake apple whose slices can be embedded in layers of batter and cooked. And the final note, acidic and there you have that. And perhaps the weirdest name of the three is the Black Gilla Flower or Black Sheep Nose. Mm. It says here the parentage, it's suspected to be a parent of Red Delicious. Uh, if only the kid did better, huh? The origin is Connecticut late 1700s. Oblong and tall, dark red, almost black fruit that, that has the shape of a sheep nose. I don't often... Look at sheep noses to see their shapes, so I take their word for it. it. says here it's a very striking apple. The taste is quite sweet, rich, and has an aroma of its own. It's also dry and coarse. Good marks as a baker. Particularly suitable for drying. It has been put on the slow food arc of taste list with 128 other apple varieties that are considered endangered and of very good quality. And that's a moral conundrum, isn't it? I should, should I eat an endangered animal? Maybe, maybe not. How about an endangered apple? Should I have caught and released it, maybe? I don't know. Well, this slow food arc of taste they speak of, we can look at more detail on that a little bit later in the show. But on the web, it's described by slowfoodusa.org as the arc of taste is a living catalog of delicious and distinctive foods facing extinction. By identifying and championing these foods, we keep them in production and on our plates. So they're supposed to be on our plates so we can make more of them. Okay, 
So uh, we can eat the endangered apples. It is okay. In the meantime, speaking of apples, Apple Records, the Beatles record label, George Harrison had an affection for some of the folks who used to hang out at the back steps of Apple just to meet the Beatles, just to say hello to them, just to get a glimpse of them, and maybe even to get a record contract. So we wrote this little tune called Apple Scruffs, and it goes like this. Like that, only different. If that were a Kinks song, it would go like that. If we're, in fact, Apple Scruffs by George, George Harrison, it might go something like this. George Harrison, and that's from All Things Must Pass. That is Apple Scruffs. This is WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. It's about 18 minutes to 7. Coming up at 7, it's Face the Music with R. Wolf. 
all wonderful, beautiful songs from years that end in five, from some of the most wonderful decades of the 20th century, in fact. That's at 7 o'clock this evening. Do not miss that. This is WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, and we're also at WCBN.org. Now, I was recently in Omaha, Nebraska to visit my folks, and while I was there, I took a little road trip to Brownville, Nebraska. It's only about an hour and 15 minutes, but the plus is you get to actually drive through Iowa and Missouri on your way from Nebraska to Nebraska, so you can say, I'm a world traveler. I've been in three states. While I was in Brownville, I went to a bookstore called The Antiquarium. This used to be a big, big bookstore in Omaha, which was there for almost 40 years. And the owner, who's still the same owner, moved it from a place with several hundred thousand people in the city to a tiny, tiny town called Brownville, which has about 130 people. Huge bookstore in an old, old uh, high school, an, an old high school, and also in the town are some art galleries and some restaurants and things like that, so it's its own little artsy sort of a thing. While I was at the Brownville establishment called the, uh, sorry, the phone keeps ringing and ringing, and it's a little bit distracting, so my brain is slowing down, slowing down. Wait, okay, here comes my brain again. Now, in the antiquarium, I found something very, very important. One of which, one of which of the one things I found was Jack and Mary's Jello recipe book. None other than Jack Benny and Mary Livingstone, a recipe book from 1937. And there are some very wonderful Jello recipes. And oh, here's a here's a Jello joke for you from Jack Benny. Why is Jello ice like a watch that's been dropped on the floor? That's too easy. It doesn't have a crystal in it. Um, that was a joke. So a bunch of recipes, including crested tomato salad with Jello, chicken salad mold with Jello, beet luncheon salad with Jello, salmon mold with Jello, a creamy pimento ring with Jello. Your mouth is watering. I know. Cucumber relish with Jello with Jello. And this is this is just fun to say horseradish relish, horseradish relish with Jello. Very exciting, and and an emergency fruit salad, which I guess if you break the glass, you can pull out the emergency fruit salad and save your life. That was there at the Brownville store called Antiquarium. Also, the Rapid Fireless Cooker catalog and cookbook. This Rapid Fireless Cooker was manufactured in the early 1900s by the William Campbell Company of Detroit, Michigan. I guess before they were big on cars, Detroit was big on stoves and cooking things and stuff. There's all kinds of useful information on here, like freight rates from Detroit to a number of towns in your state. Lots and lots of testimonials on how great these things are. And wonderful recipes like, are you ready? How about some stuffed heart? Hmm? Here's the recipe for stuffed heart. Wash the heart, removing the arteries and veins. Stuff with the regular chicken dressing, you know the regular chicken dressing, dredge heart with salt, pepper, and flour, and brown in bacon fat. Place heart in small cooker pail and cover with boiling water. Boil 10 minutes. Then place small pail in large pail containing boiling water to nearly fill when small pail is in place. Place all in cooker overnight. When ready to serve, reheat small pail and thicken gravy with flour. So that's the stuffed heart. There's also a recipe for corned tongue. 
Mm-mm-mm. Some creamed sweetbreads, some mock duck, baked stuffed onions. That sounds even more, actually, more appealing. Veal rolls, fresh pork and sour kraut. That's two words, sour and kraut. Many, many wonderful recipes available. Says Henry Lutter of Chicago, it is a God's blessing to own one of your rapid, fireless cookers. Yes, indeed. Well, for no particular reason, here's a song that may be frightening. I don't know yet. I haven't previewed it. I bought this in a store in Lincoln, Nebraska, this place called Vintage Village. There were two albums in front of me. One was Aloha from Teresa, Hawaiian songs and faux Hawaiian songs by Teresa Brewer. Next to it was an album by Gene Shepard called Many Happy Hangovers. Yeah. Wonderful food references, but I picked the Aloha album, and we're going to hear now Princess Pupuli has plenty papaya. Here is Teresa Brewer. Get ready. The princess Papuli's papaya. Now, Princess Papuli's not truly unruly to pass out papaya each day. For all of the neighbors, they say she may give the fruit, but she holds on to the root, and so she has the fruit and the root to boot. She means papaya. She doesn't mean anything else because I don't think there are any double entendres whatsoever in that song. None. I checked. That is Teresa Brewer and Princess Pupuli. This is epic. Princess Pupuli has plenty papaya. It's 10 to 7. Arwolf has made an appearance and he's going to do Face the Music at 7. Speaking of things that sound like papaya, how about pawpaw? That was a smooth segue. Now, uh, there's going to be an author who's written a book by the name of Paw Paw in Search of America's Forgotten Fruit. His name is Andrew Moore. He's going to be at the Argus Farm Stop on West Liberty tomorrow at 7 p.m. He's going to read, sign, and do a food demonstration. And there will be Paw Paws for the eating, in fact. Now, there are many things about Paw Paws that I don't 
think I ever realized. First of all, what the heck is a pawpaw? Well, I had one. They had a little basket of them at Argus the other day. It's an irregularly shaped fruit. It's not so regular shaped that major fruit producers want to deal with them because they're kind of hard to package and produce and all that stuff. So, well, they're just special little things and they kind of have a green type of skin. Gets kind of ugly sometimes and I hear the uglier, the tastier it is. And I was told not to eat the skin, not to eat the seeds, the the nice little biggish brown seeds in the middle. It's kind of creamy, some say kind of custardy tasting, kind of like somewhere between a banana and a papaya with a little edge I can't really describe. So at first I was scooping it out, but it was too small. So I put it in my mouth and I thought, okay, you know, I'll just spit out the seeds. And then I swallowed a seed. I wasn't supposed to do that, but I survived. So the pawpaw has been sometimes has been described in different oh it's in the same plant family as the custard apple and the sweet sop and the sour sop it's the same family and they can be found in Michigan i guess not so easily necessarily but of course there is the city of pawpaw in Michigan there are three pawpaw lakes in Michigan and one little pawpaw lake that i don't know where that is i can't tell it's in wikipedia also, very importantly, says here, there was a Hatfield and McCoy's connection to pawpaw. It was pawpaw bushes that some of the Hatfields tied some of the McCoys to and shot them dead in retaliation for the killing of one of their kin early in the famous feud that really got the bloodshed going. So says Wikipedia. Also, there is a, wait for it, a pawpawsaurus. There was an actual dinosaur called the pawpawsaurus. It's true. Papasaurus meaning paw, paw, lizard. It's a notosaurid ankylosaur, you know what I mean, from the Cretaceous or late Albion of Tarrant County, Texas, discovered in May 1992. The only species yet assigned to this taxon, Papasaurus campbelli, is based on a complete skull lacking mandibles from the Marine Papa Foundation Wachita Group. It's so authentic, I don't know what I'm saying. I got the mandibles part and the lacking mandibles thing. That I understood. But just in case that makes any sense to you, Arthur Andrew Moore, who wrote the book Paw Paw, In Search of America's Forgotten Fruit, will be appearing at the Argus Farm Stop tomorrow at 7 p.m. So much to say, so much to think, so much to do. The Paw Paw is a beautiful fruit, and... So much to talk about. We'll have to do a whole pawpaw show sometime. There's also a traditional American folk song that goes, Where oh, where is dear little Nellie? Where oh, where is dear little Nellie? Where oh, where is dear little Nellie? Way down yonder in the pawpaw patch. Picking up pawpaws, putting them in your pocket. Picking up pawpaws, putting them in your pocket. Picking up pawpaws, putting them in your pocket. Way down yonder in the pawpaw patch. Reciting that was almost like poetry, but not nearly as satisfying, huh? But finally, you finally you're going to get the payoff here that just you've been waiting for. Says the BBC, the snake was not guilty of killing Cleopatra. From BBC's website, the story that Cleopatra, ancient queen of Egypt, was killed by a snake bite has been rejected as impossible by University of Manchester academics, Egyptologists. 
and snake experts have combined to examine the plausibility of the tale of the queen being killed by a cobra hidden in a basket of figs. They believe a snake big enough to kill the queen and two maids would not have been small enough to be concealed. They also challenge the credibility of three consecutive fatal bites. Cleopatra died at the age of 39 in 30 BC. She was a ruler of Egypt who became embroiled in power struggles with the Roman Empire. But her story and her death have become part of popular legend. Her death has often been attributed to a poisonous snake or asp, with the queen using the fatal bite as a way of ending her own life. But Egyptologist Joyce named Joyce and Andrew, curator of herpetology at Manchester Museum, says the cobra would have been too physically big to be concealed in the way it has been portrayed. They're typically five to six feet long and can grow up to eight feet, and the Manchester Egypt's experts, hello, reject the idea that such a snake could be hidden in the way suggested. Not only are cobras too big, says Mr. Gray, but there's a 10% chance you would die from a snake bite. Most bites are dry bites that don't inject venom. That's not to say they aren't dangerous. The venom causes necrosis and will certainly kill you, but quite slowly. So it would be impossible to use a snake to kill two or three people one after the other. So could it have been the figs? Tune in tomorrow. Or next week or something. This has been Pandora's Lunchbox. I've been Mike Arwolf and Face the Music coming up imminently. Just to mention one more time, Pawpaw in Search of America's Forgotten Fruit. The author Andrew Moore is going to be at the Argus Farm Stop tomorrow at 7 p.m. And Egypt. Here we go. Ending the show with a little Egypt. In fact, just a little Egypt. The song is called Little Egypt. And it is the coasters. This is WCBN FM Ann Arbor. And WCBN.org. Never ever stop listening. Step right up, folks, and see little Egypt do a famous dance of the pyramids. She walks, she talks, she claws on her belly like a reptile. Just one thin dime, one tenth of a dollar. Step right up, folks. I went and bought myself a ticket, and I sat down in the very first row. They pulled the curtain up and when they turned the spotlight way down low Little Egypt came out strutting wearing nothing but a button and a bow Singing Yeah 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 And a diamond big as Texas on a toe She laid her head down and she did the hoochie-coochie real slow When she did a special number on a zebra skin I thought she'd stop the show Tattooed on the spine Saying Phoenix, Arizona 1949 
candidly sometimes when the world seems unconscionably cruel I somehow make it down to WCBN FM Ann Arbor in the basement of the student activities hotel on a Thursday night and I'm reminded by the existence of Mike Perini that humanity is actually pretty cool and there's hope so thanks Mike I feel better um I always do on Thursday nights. Also, I feel better because I get to get in here and play old records. Boy, does that feel good. This is Face the Music. I'm doing, uh, what is this, the eighth in an 18-week series devoted to music from mostly from 1925, 35, and 45. We have heard some 1915 recordings, 100-year-old recordings, and there will be more in the series. And once in a while, we get some other fives in there, but pretty much fiving it up with 25, 35, and 45 for the rest of 2015. And I do this every year, but this uh, five is the magic number. Boy, it's the quintessence. So this is a good example. Um, what I've got here is Bud Freeman and his Windy City Five with Bunny Berrigan and Claude Thornhill and Eddie Condon and Gresham Munker and Cozy Cole. Bud Freeman, the tenor saxophonist, um, you won't actually hear him play the tenor sax until about the middle of the record because this is a rare example of Bud Freeman operating a clarinet. How do you like that? This is called Tilly's Downtown Now. Is Bud Freeman. Face the music. <laughs> 